this uh, past, oh, Thursday, I'm pretty sure it was, the uh, painters came back and got the walls in our library area there, and uh, very, very soon, we should have the entire building completely back to normal. It's only taken two months, you know, hey. Um, yeah, they had, uh, they thought they finished up and they realized there were three walls that they, they hadn't gotten, so they had to come back and, and get that. So if you've been in that area and see all those shelves out all over the place and books piled everywhere, that's why. But uh, that's soon to be taken care of. I want to uh, point out before I start my sermon today that all Scripture, everything that we read about in Scripture is theological. Some of it may not seem theological, like Paul telling, uh, I think it was Timothy, that when he comes, get my cloak and bring it with you. But there are aspects to virtually all passages, not virtually all, all passages of Scripture that are theological, as in they have to do with our relationship with God in some way. Not all passages of Scripture are Christological, meaning having to do with our relationship with Christ or His work on the cross. Today is one of those passages where you're probably not going to see very much in it that is Christological, but it's Scripture, and therefore it has to do with our lives and how God has instructed us to live our lives. If you look at your bulletins, you'll see that it's probably the longest sermon title I've ever done in my life. And there's a bit in here to go through. I didn't use several different passages that have to do with this topic because I didn't think you wanted an eight or nine page sermon instead of the normal six page sermon. But we're going to get into it and we're going to cover it. By show of hands, how many of you either have watched, maybe you don't really like them, but you're familiar with and you have watched those shows on TV or movies that are like post-apocalyptic, the world has come to an end already type of shows. Whether it's World War III or zombies or whatever it is, usually they take place years after the world as we know it has come crashing down. Whether that's a disease that's wiped out most of humanity or major war, alien invasion, whatever it is, zombies, the world has come crashing down as we know it. Civilization has largely ceased to exist. In most of these What you see is there's no order, there's no law, there's no safety. In almost all of them that I've seen, when there's a happy ending, if there's a happy ending, because some of these movies, they, they look like they're coming to a happy ending, and then it's like the rug's pulled out from under you, and there is no happy ending. But if there is a happy ending, it's when the characters in the show, finally either come across some remnant of civilization or they get past whatever it was that wiped everything out and they themselves develop a new 
civilization. Now, there's some people around that just can't wait for something like this to happen. They're like, oh, yeah, man, that'd be awesome, you know, running around shooting zombies, whatever. They think that it'd be great, mostly, I think, because they don't like being restricted and having to follow the rules. They don't want some authority over them that tells them, you can't behave in this way and you need to do these things. In their minds, this kind of situation would be a dream come true. Do whatever you want, and nobody tells you what you can and can't do. Most of the people that I've talked to who think this would be grand, however, they're usually out of shape 20 or 30-somethings living in their mom's basement playing video games. They have no actual survival skills, probably couldn't plant a garden if they didn't have a phone to look up how to do it. I talked with one 20, maybe 25 years ago, I was at work, and they are like, oh, yeah, man, that'd be awesome. That'd be so cool going on. And I said, dude, you wouldn't be one of the heroes in the movie. You'd be dead in the first 15 minutes. You'd be the zombie's first meal. He didn't really care for that thought. There's a reason that the happy ending in these situations is when people find the cure for the disease or they find a a remnant of civilization where there's peace and plenty that's still to be had. That reason is that organized civilization is a gift from God. Not only does Scripture make this clear, as we're about to see, but it's a self-evident fact. If you doubt me on this, you talk to anybody who has come from a place where there's a failed state. You talk to somebody who used to live in Somalia. You talk to somebody who used to live in the Congo. You ask them whether it's better to have no no government or a government that maybe is a little bit too much. I guarantee you, what their answer will be. Because being in those situations is not good. There's nothing in it that is nice in any way, shape, or form. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 13. Because God does have a lot to say on this topic. We're going to start in verse 1 and go through 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have... Would you have no fear from the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. 
Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Now, I can tell you as a a conservative bordering on libertarian, there's a lot in there that kind of makes me go, hmm, really, I gotta, don't really like that idea. I'm not usually a fan of government. This passage and other corresponding ones, however, are pretty clear. And this is the gist of them. God instituted the concept of government and governing authorities for the benefit of people. And it is our duty to be in cooperation with them. Kind of. It's those last two words that I just said that make this sermon need preaching and make it worth preaching. Throughout history... There has been what I consider to be a terrible interpretation of the passage that we just went through. And unfortunately, the overwhelming number of theologians until very recently have subscribed to what I consider a terrible interpretation. And when I say the overwhelming number, I mean it was nearly a full consensus for centuries. Most people in most professions would assume that they're wrong on something if virtually everyone else in their profession had taken a different stance on an idea than you do. If nearly every biologist believed something opposite of what Matt thought when looking at a set of evidence he would reevaluate his conclusion. Do you know why I know that? I asked him. If nearly every lawyer had a different interpretation of a law than Mike would, he would seriously look as if he had gotten it wrong. Do you know why I know that? I asked him. But here's the thing. Practically all theologians throughout history have interpreted this passage to be saying that God himself chose, installed, and ordained every single political, military, and and religious authority that exists, as in the person themselves, from the local town councilman to Joseph Stalin. And I say to this interpretation, Bubkes. I don't buy it. This is the thinking that allowed kings and dictators throughout history to believe that they could do no wrong because they were appointed by God himself and they only had to answer to God. Therefore, anything they did was okay. To believe that God had put Hitler into power, to me, simply does not compute. 
Not to mention all of the false religious leaders throughout history who also had civil authority. The wickedly evil popes of the Middle Ages and leaders of false religions as well. Now to be fair to the theologians with whom I disagree, the majority of them would say that while God put that person in there, God didn't make them or even authorize them to do the horrendous evil things with the power that they had been given. But you know what? Some theologians would say that God put that there for them to do. So imagine my glee, my joy, when I was doing research this past week and I found out that Dr. Jack Cottrell, in my opinion, one of the greatest theological minds of our time, also said that that sort of thinking on this passage was nonsense. And it turns out that since he wrote his commentary on Romans in 1998, a lot of theologians have actually come around to what I'm going to very presumptuously call our way of thinking. Now, since I don't think that that's what that means, since I don't think that this is saying that every single person, every single individual was put in that position by God, what do I think that it means? It's saying that God instituted the concept of earthly civil authorities for the betterment of mankind and the offices and manner in which people are in place over groups of, peop- of, of other people is a concept put there by God. Virtually all theologians agree that God did not specifically say what sort of government is required for the purpose of keeping the peace and maintaining law and order. Merely that the institution of government is one which is there from God and that it is for the purpose of our benefit. It may not feel that way sometimes, but that's primarily because of what people are doing who are in those positions. But the concept of having government, having order, having law, is a concept from God. Now please, please, please do not misunderstand what I'm saying. I am largely in agreement with Ronald Reagan when he said that the most frightening words ever spoken were, I'm from the government and I'm here to help you. Scripture has a lot to say on a lot of things which many governments, including ours, are not doing morally or ethically correct. Scripture says this is how people are to behave, and you have governments doing something far different. And I would argue that some so-called governments aren't law and order whatsoever when Stalin was sending out lists of just random people to round up and murder, that's no form of law and order. That's just terror. And that is the opposite of what God desired for us. There is a lot of room for improvement 
even in our own. I agree with Sir Winston Churchill when he said many forms of government have been tried and will be tried in this world of sin and woe. No one pretends that democracy is perfect or all-wise. Indeed, it has been said that democracy is the worst form of government, except for all those other forms that we've tried. I like as small of government as possible to keep society functioning well. And I do think that we were beyond that in Reagan's day when debt was measured in hundreds of millions of dollars, not trillions of dollars. The only thing worse than a bloated government, however, is a collapsed government. It exists in its God-given purpose to protect its citizens from threats and dangers too big for us to handle. That's why it's there. It also exists, ideally, to allow us to be keeping what we read in the previous chapter as to how we are to behave. There's a section in chapter 12 that Dr. Cottrell says, do not preach the first part of chapter 13 without preaching this part in chapter 12 and don't preach this part in chapter 12 without also preaching this part in chapter 13. Chapter 13 is about the government and that he's there to bring punishment to the evildoer. And that is so that we can live according to chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And if you have forgotten, he says in chapter 13, that the, the, the authorities are there as God's servant to be a vengeance upon the wrongdoer. Going on in chapter 12 there, On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This passage makes it clear to us that revenge isn't an option for the Christian. But God is a God of justice and order. And to live where there is no penalty for harming or wronging others is called anarchy. And hopefully what you've been realizing in these passages is that the concept that God is advancing in them is that he doesn't want anarchy. It's not good. You wouldn't like it. Government in its best form is acting as the servant of God to bring justice on evildoers, 
And it allows individuals to have justice without personally being vengeful. Now once again, please do not misunderstand me. I have told you many times, I am not a pacifist. In, up in the chapter 12 section, it says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Sometimes you cannot live at peace with everyone. The person who is kicking down your door to rob, rape, and murder has made living at peace with them impossible. It no longer depends on you. And there is nothing wrong with you defending yourself or others. I would point out that passage from last week that I mentioned. I've preached sermons on this in the past, but it's been a few years and maybe a refresher is in order sometime soon. It is not wrong to defend against evil. God's desire for the Christian is that as far as we're able, without violating our conscience, we are to live in submission to the governing authorities. Yes, even when we think it's run by idiots and leches. The concept of government is to bring as much peace, prosperity, and safety for as many people as possible with as much freedom as possible. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Now, I want to ask you a serious question, because chances are most of you are kind of like me, where you're not really fond of the government. You see a lot of dumb things being done by the government. You see a lot of wasteful things being done by the government. I, I saw an article last week that said out in San Francisco, and you know how things are just crazy out of control there, they wanted to build a, 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 like a public outdoor bathroom, you know, like a, not a, not a porta potty, but a, a, a permanent structure. And they did all the research on it, and they said it was going to be $1.7 million to build a toilet. And so a company said, we will donate it. We'll have it built. And the city of San Francisco came back and said, still going to cost the taxpayers $1.2 million. And they're like, what are you talking about? We're donating it. And they said, well... Of that 1.7 million, 1.2 million of it was just like oversight. The government agencies that have to sign off all the forms and, and 
do get all the permits and, and do all the... Are you kidding me? Let me ask you something. Paul wrote this under Nero. Who do you think was worse? Seriously? Who do you think was worse? I've completely lost my place. Oh, the passage here that we just read, that we're supposed to be a people, whenever possible, living peaceably in submission to the governing authorities around us. This reflects on God and Christ, whom we also claim to be subject to. And if we are going to claim the name of Christ and live in rebellion against the government that God has instituted the concept of, not every action, but the concept of, how does that reflect on our Savior? And on a purely self-interest aspect, it's in our own best interest to have leaders and public servants whose jobs are pleasant and fruitful as possible. We should be kind and courteous and understanding in as many ways as we can. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 says, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Now this this verse is specifically speaking about the leaders in the church, but it's equally as applicable to good and honest government leaders who are doing their best and doing the job not out of selfish ambition or pride or arrogance, but they're doing their best to make things Good for the most people. That passage, that verse from Hebrews, it's an echo of a much older passage of Scripture, which in fact does speak to people about governmental leaders and about how we can make things better, not worse, for the civil governing authorities under which we live. Even when the authorities which we don't particularly like, are not founded on or running on biblical principles. Get this. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 5 through 7. He's speaking to the exiles who have been taken captive. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. Why? For it in its welfare, you will find your welfare. They're talking about Babylon. And he's saying, hey, it ain't going to go well for you if it doesn't go well for them. When we go out of our way to cause problems, headaches, 
heartaches, for those who are either elected officials or merely those who work in the bureaucracies of government, we only succeed in shooting ourselves in the foot. Have you ever been, I'm going to use one of the worst types of examples that people love to make fun of. Have you ever been down at the BMV and you see the person who is making an absolute fool of themselves, being loud and obnoxious and ranting at the the lady on the other side of the counter because they don't like the stupid rules and why should I do this? And everybody in the whole room now is subject to their business and you're sitting there thinking, just go buy your insurance like you knew you had to do before you could get your plate. Does it make it any better to make things miserable for the person on the other side of the counter? Look, I have been one time down to the BMV trying to register a new vehicle that I bought out of state, and I had to go back three times. I didn't like that. But the lady across the counter didn't make up those rules. Why should I make things hard on her? Do you think she's going to make life easier on me if I make things hard on her? I don't think so. That's just not very wise in my opinion. Now, way back near the beginning of the sermon, that should be a clue, I'm almost done. I said God instituted the concept of government and governing authorities for the benefit of people and it's our duty to be in cooperation with them. And then I said, kind of. Here's the end of the sermon and where the kind of comes into play. Most of you here are probably familiar with it, but I want to point it out. When the authorities command us and their commands are in direct conflict with the commands of Christ, well, we read what the apostles said, in Acts chapter 5, verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. This stands true today. I don't much like paying taxes. I mean, I like the fact that paying my taxes means I'll have hopefully paved roads and fire department that will come out if there's a problem and police if there's a problem. I, I like that aspect, but I, I don't like paying taxes when I know how bad they waste a lot of the money. I don't like jumping through hoops in order to have the privilege of driving a car that I bought. I don't like seeing my hard-earned money being flushed down the toilet or even worse, siphoned off in criminal activities by dishonest politicians. But as long as I'm a Christian, and as long as the government isn't making me do something against that Christianity, then my duty from God is clear to be subject and obedient to the governing authorities. 
wasteful and pointless as they may be in some cases. God has instituted the concept of them for our benefit. Do they always do things for our benefit? No. Somehow people get elected to office, go in their average Joes, and when they retire 25 years later, they're multimillionaires. How'd that happen? I don't know. But God instituted government for our benefit. And he said that we're to be subject to them. And I know that God is a whole lot smarter than I am. Does that mean I'm going to be happy about everything that I do? No. Does that mean when I go in to renew my license plates and they tell me the dollar amount, that I'm not going to go, what?! No? Does that mean I'm just going to be going, boy, I sure love it when they tax me? No? Does that mean that my witness for Christ is advanced when I don't like things and yet I follow what God said to do anyway? Yes, it is. And our main purpose in all of this should be to reflect good on our Savior so that other people will see it. And they'll be ashamed of the bad things they said about Christ and Christians. And they will come to know Him as their Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father God, we love You and we praise You. Thank You, God, for the concept of government that brings some order out of chaos and anarchy for the good things that are accomplished, even if we're begrudgingly admitting them. Lord, thank you for you looking out for us. Please help me when I don't want to do what these passages say that I am supposed to. Give me peace and give me the strength and the knowledge and the wisdom to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand as we sing.